First of all, I want to thank Judge Pressler. He's, he's been very good to me. And whenever I've, I've needed encouragement and, and uh, I knew that a fight was coming from somewhere in the community, I could call Judge Pressler and he was, he was there. He had been through the same sort of fight. And, and also, I, I want to thank many of you have, have placed things in my lives, in my life, in my wife's life. Uh, uh, Twyla Paris, we, we listened to your songs uh, early in our marriage, and, and uh, uh, the Dobsons spoke so much into our lives. Uh, when we were newly married, I didn't know what to do. And, and uh, anything that James Dobson told me, I did. And when I didn't, when I didn't follow through particularly, I, I would tell my wife, well, I'm James Tour, not James Dobson, but I'm trying. Still honored to be, be able to share with you today. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, I pray the outpouring of God come upon this place. Father, you know each heart here. You know the struggles, you know the pains, you know the joys. Father, speak specifically to each heart, I pray. Father, I pray that because of this day, because of the words that are said this day, lives would be changed. Pour out the power of the living God in this place. Abba, I ask you to pour out your power and touch the hearts and glorify our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name I offer this to you. Amen. It is amazing the way this service has gone and how it, how it dovetails with the things that I wanted to share with you. I want to start out and, and tell you a little bit about my coming to faith. I was 18 years old, I was in college, and I was in the laundry room, just the first load of laundry that I was doing. Uh, so early on in my freshman year, and a young man was in there, and he, he was a quarterback on the Syracuse University football team, and we got to talking, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to play pro ball when he was done with school. He says, oh, no, I'm not good enough for that. I said, well, what, what do you want to do? He says, lay ministry. And I was a Jewish kid from New York City, a secular Jewish home, and I said, lay ministry, what's that? I had no idea. He said, oh, well, maybe a missionary. I said, missionary? It's 1977. You don't need missionaries today. He said, I, would you mind if I told you something about Jesus Christ? I said, sure, you can tell me whatever you want. So he came to my room, and he drew the, the sketch of the bridge with Man on one side and God on the other. And then he opened up the Bible and he had me read some verses. And the first verse that I read from the Bible was Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I looked at him I said, I'm not a sinner. He said, we're all sinners. I said, I've never killed anybody. How can I be a sinner? Then he had me open to Matthew 5.28 and he had me read it and it says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it was as if I had been punched right in the chest. Because from the age of 14 I had been addicted to pornography. I worked in a gas station on the highway going into New York City where there's a gas station on each side of the road. And 
the businessmen would throw out their, their magazines on Friday nights before they'd go home for the weekend, and I had an entire stash of magazines. There was no internet, of course, but the magazines are what, what brought me into this. And to those of you that may have struggled with this in your lives, you know how compelling that is. And at the age of 18, I knew that I was addicted to pornography. And the words of this man, Jesus Christ, came crashing through in my life. And the reality of sin in my life all of a sudden became real to me. Then he had me read in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he had me read the simplicity of this verse in Romans 10, 9. Now, he had just told me that Christ died for me. I didn't even know. One would think, being born and raised in the United States, that one would know that at least there's a claim on the table that Jesus had died for my sins. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm sure I must have heard it, but it, it had never connected that this man died for me. And then I read this verse out of Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, how can any intelligent thinking human being believe in a resurrection from the dead? How can that be? This doesn't happen. We don't have a whole lot of data points on this. How can this be? If it were not for the fact that God places it within the heart of men and women to believe that to be true because it is. And this is one of the requirements. Subsequent to that, I use the resurrection many times. Students will come up to me in the university and say, well, we think that professor over there is a Christian. We're not sure. I say, okay, I'll find out. <laughs> and I invite them to the faculty club for lunch. And as soon as we sit down, I say, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? <laughs> because based on their answer to that, I know. Well, these words were hard to understand. And I started attending a Bible study through the Navigators Campus Ministry there on campus. And on November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room, room 1812 of the Lawrence and Dormitory. And I don't know what prompted me to do this, but I got down on my knees. It had never been de demonstrated to me in Christianity or in Judaism. And I got down on my knees and I said, Father, forgive me, because I am a sinner and come into my life. There was this presence that filled the room. And I opened my eyes to see who was there. And I didn't see anybody. But it, it was this, as if somebody was standing there. And there was this cleansing that was happening. And this burden of sin that I had been carrying all of a sudden lifted up. And I started to weep uncontrollably. And I didn't want to get up off my knees. I didn't want to leave the presence that was there. And I felt cleansed. God came into my life on November 7, 1977. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't know what to do. What's this kid from New York City? He's a Jewish kid. What's he going to say? And I, I went and I... I was one day walking on the dormitory floor and... The guy who had shared Christ with me says, Jim, have you received Jesus in your heart? I 
said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He said, you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. Something's different. Something really happened to me on that day. And I said to him, how can I stay close to God? How can I remain close? I don't want to leave the presence that I felt that day. And he said to me a very simple thing. He said, you know, I've asked Christians that seem to have drifted away from the Lord, and I asked them, were you reading your Bible every day when you drifted away? And they said, no. And then he said, I've asked other Christians who seem to have such fellowship with God, were you reading your Bible every day? And they said, yes. And for me, that was very simple. It was digital. You read your Bible every day, you remain close to the Lord. You don't, you won't. That I could understand. So I started to pick up the Bible, and shortly after that, I picked up this pattern of reading the Bible from beginning to end. I'd start in Genesis chapter 1. Once I got through to to Revelation chapter 22, I'd start again. And I'd just pick up where I left off the day before. And I started to take this Word of God and internalize it. And to this day, to this day, I still have my pocket full of scriptures that I take. And I've seen the value in this. The value of taking this word and putting it in my heart. And I see the blessing that comes. The word of God is so specific. It does not speak in generalities. Psalm 1, which we just heard, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. There is a connection between day and night meditation on scriptures and the prosperity that God has for us, which is much, much richer than money. You know, being in Houston the last 13 years, I've had the pleasure of meeting many very rich oil traders. I'll tell you, they want what I have. And I have no desire to have what they have. Because the richness that comes in Christ, what He has done in my life, in my family, the treasure that I have. I prayed when I was an undergraduate that God would bring the right wife into my life. And He did. Never, never could I have seen what was coming. The treasure that I had in that woman. Thirty years I've been married. I have never heard her say a bad thing about anyone. I mean, how can a human being be like this? I mean, this is the treasure I have. God does this, the blessing and the prosperity. I've seen it in my work. I saw it in my work. I mean, this is the testimony of God. It is not me. My brother and my sister were so much smarter than me. My brother is is an attorney now. He's one of these kids that never had to study in school and did well. My sister was the one in the city who always got 800s on the SATs, perfect scores, She's a mathematical physicist right now. She, she's head of Microsoft Research after being a professor at UCLA. I mean, really smart. I was struggling in freshman chemistry. I'd been thrown into the honors program because I was a chemistry major, and they never should have done that. I was struggling. I gave my heart to the Lord on November 7, 1977. I got a B-plus at the end of that semester. I ended up taking every graduate course as an undergraduate in organic chemistry and being number one in every class I took and ended up being the number one student. I know what God did in my life. I know the prosperity that came in my life. You take the Word of God. It is very specific. It says you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Day and night. There's scriptures that say it's either day and night or every day. 
Every day. There may be a blessing for three times a week. There may not be. I don't know. But there is no such, such description for it in the Bible. It is daily. It is very specific. He would not have said it if it were not true. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God will prosper you. He may have for you to die next week, but you will prosper in that. Because for us, death is victory. I don't know what God has for you, but the day and night meditation on the Lord, in the Lord's Word. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your Word. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. When I went to graduate school, I started working for a man that was a fairly well-known chemist. I had no idea that in the year 2010, he would win the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. The Bible says you will have more insight than all your teachers, and it doesn't say than your Bible teachers. The promise of God is if we make the Word of God our daily meditation, we will have more insight than all our teachers. This is what the Scriptures say. Believe it. It is very specific. It is true. This is what it says. You take this Word of God and you make it your meditation. And God will do amazing things through your life. Let me give you some, uh, some ideas, of, uh, some, some, some taste of what, what, what things have happened in my life just by meditating on the scriptures. When, when we were in graduate school, uh, we used to invite students into our home. And then, then uh, that was at Purdue University. Then we went to the University of Wisconsin and then Stanford University. And we always had students into our home. And, I, and, and we would just... Shireen would always feed them a meal. She has this gift of hospitality. And then I would, I would share the scriptures. And I remembered seeing the, 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 the home get trashed. We were in, in uh, Purdue and the college students would come walking in. And I remember one week in particular, they came walking in and they didn't even wipe their feet. And my daughter, who was just crawling around at the time, would go behind them and, and she was eating the snowballs that came off their feet. And I remember seeing, seeing them on the couch eating the food and just enjoying themselves and just food falling off their plate and they didn't even notice it. College students are just inherently messy. They don't mean to be. <laughs> and I remember seeing my daughter a few days after one of the meetings and she was sitting on the couch and she was chewing on a chicken bone that she had found behind the pillow on the couch. And I, it really began to bother me. That, Lord, why am I doing this? The house is getting so trashed. And I began to pray about this. And I was reading in Proverbs 14, verse 4. And it says, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. And drilling right down into that room, God began to speak to me through the Scriptures. This is what He does. I pick up the Bible in the morning and I start to read. I say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. And then when he starts impressing a verse upon me, I can't get my eyes off it. And it just keeps coming back. And I say, Father, what are you saying? Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. Don't have these students into your home and your little apartment will stay clean. But much increase comes by the strength of the ox. 
I'll take care of your apartment. You bring them in and you're going to see the work of God in these young people's lives. From that day, I said, never would our home be closed to students coming in. And to this day, this afternoon, every Sunday, we have 40 to 50 students in our home for lunch. And they just come from all over. They know that lunch is there. That we are serving lunch in our home. And said, this is what we are going to do. God speaks a word and it comes true. September 3rd, 1993, I was invited back to Purdue to give a, a seminar. I had just become a tenured professor. And, and I was invited back and uh, I was alone in the, in the hotel room. And I knew I had to give a chemistry lecture that day. And as I was praying, I read this verse. And it says, truly, and this is in Matthew 21, 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And I said, Father, you are raising my faith. And I knew that in the audience would be my professor, who I trained under. And, and he, he was a Japan, he's a Japanese man. And, and when I was a graduate student, no matter what I ever did, no matter how good the result, I would bring it to him. He would say, pretty good for your level. And I never get, got past the man's weight. And I knew that he would be there in the audience and that his mentor, H.C. Brown, who had won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1979, would be in the audience. And I said, Lord, I pray that this lecture is the very best lecture ever in that department. You have raised my faith, Lord. I pray that it is. And he said, well, how will I know if it is? I mean, the department's 100 years old. How am I going to know? I said, Lord, if it's the best lecture, I pray that my, my professor says that it was a super seminar. That's not a word I heard him use. But I, I said, I pray that he would say it was a super seminar. None of this four-year level stuff. But when I got done with that seminar, I knew that God had blessed And as soon as I got done, that little Japanese man sitting on the front row stood up and he said, Super! Super! <laughs> I stepped down and I, I walked up to H.C. To Brown, who had won the Nobel Prize in 1979, and I shook his hand. And I said, thank you for coming to the seminar today. And he held on to my hand. He says, I've got to tell you something. That was the best seminar I've ever seen in my life. I said, that's very kind of you to say that. And in typical Nobel Prize winning fashion, he said, I'm not saying it to be kind. I really mean it. <laughs> God confirms his word. One day I was upset with a, with a colleague and he had been saying stuff about me to some students, and I, I, it was really beginning to bother me. I was just a, a young professor, and, and uh, God was blessing my program, and, and, and uh, he was struggling like many young professors. And, and uh, So he started to say things about me, and it really started to get, get at me. And I, I went one day to his office to knock on his door to really just give it to him. And so I knocked on the door, and he wasn't in and then God began to speak to me from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. It was a, a, a chapter that I was memorizing with my children. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And God began to speak to my heart. And I said, Okay, Lord. 
Now, since I was an undergraduate, I, I break every day at about noontime and I go to the chapel and pray on campus, and I still do that to this day. And at that time, I said, okay, when I break at noontime to go to pray, I will pray for his work, that God will bless his work. And he was struggling, young assistant professor, not getting grant money, you know, the same struggles that many go through. And I started praying for him, and God started to bless his work. He got a big National Institutes of Health grant. His group started growing, and things were going great for him. And he went from having a little metal desk to having a good desk and a carpeted office. And his program got so good that about two years later, he got an offer from another university. He accepted the offer, and he left. And I was so happy. You know, God showed me that, that you know, I, I want to deal with problems. And God says, yes, I can deal with that problem, but I have to deal with you first. The scriptures speak to my heart, and they, they, they help me to get through some daily things. Now, I know God works in all of our lives differently. I am not saying that you're going to become Joe Professor. I don't know what he's going to do with you. The scriptures say, talk about in Hebrews chapter 11, how women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release. I mean, God works with everybody differently. talks about men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in caves and hills and holes in the ground. But of the world, the world was not worthy of these men. I don't know what God has for you, but this I know. If you take these scriptures and make them your daily meditation, God will do amazing things through your life. When a student stands up to give their, their, their final presentation in the university, their Ph.D. defense, I stand up and I'm supposed to summarize their four or five years of research in a few lines and then turn the stage over to them and say, this is now yours. You will now become the PhD. Moses summarized 40 years of instruction. That's like 10 PhDs worth of instruction. That's a long time. How do you summarize 40 years? What will you say to summarize 40 years of instruction? This is what he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 45 through 47. When Moses has finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law, for it is not an idle word for you, but indeed it is your life. This is how Moses summarized it. This is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. This is the summary. This word that I am sharing with you is our life. This is our life. You make this word your meditation. And you will see God working in your life. Psalm 112. You know, I, I did prison ministry in a maximum security prison for 10 years. And I would go in there, and any time I couldn't get through to a man, I would say, do you have children that I can pray for? And immediately, he would catch them. Because everybody wants God's best for their children. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. If not for you, then for your children. 
You meditate on this word, and for your children in Psalm 112, they will be blessed. Your generation will be blessed if you will meditate on the scriptures. For your children's sake, do this. This is God's promise. He will follow through on it. Philippians 4.9 The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that's Paul, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Everybody wants peace in their lives. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things, you will have the peace of God in your life. How do I know? Because the Bible promises it. The things that you have seen, that you have heard, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I understand that in careers, people have to work very hard. I understand that. But I beg you, do not trash your marriages for your career. You know, when I was an assistant professor, I wrote, I I worked very hard. And and, uh, in 2007, I won some award from the American Chemical Society, and they asked me to just summarize my career. And I was writing an article for the Journal of Organic Chemistry about my career, and I'm going to read to you a portion from that article where I was talking about my assistant professor days. I submitted 37 proposals in my first 36 months as a faculty member and most of those as a single principal investigator since collaborative proposals were less common in those days. 37 proposals. That's more than one a month for three years. So I know what it is to work hard. I rise up early in the morning. I go to work early and uh, But you know, the other sentence, the other thing I wrote in that article is this. On the days of receiving the declination of funding letters from the NIH, NIH, sadness, sadness certainly followed. I would always call my wife, Shireen, because she was repeatedly there to reassure me of my self-worth. And my children were still there to call me daddy. So I endeavored to dwell only momentarily on the harsh and sometimes even unnecessarily personal comments of the reviewers. My family has seen me through. You treasure that. I know what it is to work hard. I know what it is to work hard. You know, even to this day, I wake up very early and I have my own devotions. At five o'clock, I bring Shireen a cup of hot tea and her Bible. She has her time. At 5.30, the kids get up. We only have one who's who's not gone to college, one left at home, and, and he still gets up and... And 5.30 we meet, as we have, and since the day my kids were born, we took them right out of the crib, and they came to family devotions. And I read from, first thing we would do is we would practice our scripture together that we were memorizing together. And the little ones, you know, all they would have, I would say, the Lord is my, and all they would have to say is, shepherd. You know, start it easy. And then, you know, before long, it's much easier for them to memorize these scriptures. And then we would memorize scriptures together, and then I would read from Hurlbut's story of the Bible, the tracks with the Bible, the 1932 edition, which has been reprinted. And uh, uh, just tracks with the Bible with little gems of truth dropped in, and then we'd all get on our knees and pray for each other. And then I'd leave at 6 in the morning, and I'd come home at 6 in the evening, so I'd work a 12-hour day, and we'd have dinner together, and I'd start putting the kids to bed, starting with the youngest on up to the oldest. And uh, so I know what it is to work hard, but you don't need to trash your family along the way. You know, I, I, uh, 
I prepared something on my website uh, for students because of struggles that I had in my own life. I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with pornography. But let me tell you something. I, I spent several hundred hours preparing a program, uh, a, a lesson for students, and it's, it's, uh, it's a three-part series. It, it's a six-part series. It's three hours in total. And it's all up on the Internet, and it's called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. So if you just went to my we- website, which is jmtour.com, jmtour.com, or you could just Google Jim Tour and it'll come up. Under the Personal Topics section, there's a section called Audio Files. You click on Scriptural Sexual Ethics. I first introduced the topic of Scriptural Sexual Ethics, and God has forgiveness, no doubt. And then I go into redemption is not a sham. It's like C.S. Lewis said. It's as if there's this chattering lizard on our shoulder thinking that, that uh, uh, without lust we would have nothing. This is common to man. And when we can break free of this, we understand what this is. And redemption is not a sham. There is victory over lust. And I give to you the prayer that you can pray. And the understanding so that you can have victory over lust. This is not all there is. There is something much greater. I talk about the true meaning of manhood. What does it mean to be a man? Everybody wants this image of a man. Who is a man? I taught a Bible study for three years to the Houston Astros. And uh, um, I remember uh, saying to them, you know, my children... My son puts the picture of you men up on his wall because he thinks you're the true image of men. How many of you really feel that you've attained manhood? Nobody could raise their hand. And I said, I understand. You know who is image to us a man? It says at the the end of uh, Isaiah 52 that the Messiah, when he comes, he would be so bruised, he would be disfigured more than any man. When he went out to his scourging, When he was coming back in, Pilate made the proclamation. He saw him coming back after the scourging and he said, Behold the man. This is the image of a man. One who gives himself totally for the other. If this word, if this thought, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the image of manhood. This is the image of a man. You can go there and learn what it is to be a man. The next section is the true meaning of womanhood, or woman, God's masterpiece. Then I have the next section is converting the Christian bedroom from hell on earth to heaven on earth. And what is the line for the unmarried? I've been working with college students for over 30 years. I'm very specific about the line. But also, how to convert the the, the, the Christian bedroom from hell on earth to heaven on earth, where nobody feels deprived. When you get it right, nobody feels deprived. Nobody feels objectified. Nobody feels taken advantage of. And the simplicity of it, it is a beautiful thing. I pray that others can have the joy in their marriages that I have. And the last section is marriage is not a sham, lowering the divorce rate from the current 52% to the extraordinary number of less than 1%. There are marriages that practice, have one particular practice that gives them less than 1% divorce rate. 
And I'm not going to tell you what that is. You have to go listen. And you can't, and I understand that people are nonlinear learners these days and they click on this section, this section. This is not like that. What you do, very simple, you click on part one. When you've done, when you're done with that, you click on part two and so forth. Or else when you get to part six, you won't be able to comprehend it. So again, I leave you with this. My coming to faith, what the scriptures did in my life, this is the prescription for thriving. Realizing that God blesses us all differently. I don't know what God has for you, but He does. And you will be greatly blessed. The take-home message is, this word is your life. This is your life. Do not neglect it. Don't trash your family. And if you struggle, if you struggle with sexual disorders, sexual problems, I don't judge you, not at all. I have been there. November 7th, 1977, God delivered me from pornography. I never was drawn back to it a single day after that. That is miraculous. That doesn't normally happen that way. But God used that verse to convict me. He used the liberation from that to show me of His power. But I have many other struggles that I had on that day that I dealt with for years that I continue to deal with. But there is a way through this. There is a way through this. And so I will stand with you in this. Let's pray. Abba, thank you so much for your mercies, for your grace. Father, I pray that you touch and impress upon each heart here to take the Word of God, the Scriptures, and make it their daily meditation. And to take hold of the Scriptures, the truth of the Scriptures, that they will be greatly blessed as a result. The daily meditation in your Word. Father, for those who are here, Father, I pray for the men here that are struggling, struggling with, with pornography. Father, I pray that they would be liberated from this. That redemption is not a sham and they would see redemption. Father, I pray that they would be delivered from this and understand how good it can be. Father, I pray for young marriages that you would be working in, in their lives. Father, your mercy come upon them, I pray, to let them experience heaven on earth. Lord, I pray for all here, mercies upon them. Use them richly. Use them richly. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.